Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. talk about circle maker three we're going to kind of wrap this up today and put a little bow on it and just kind of send you out of here i'm going to talk about prayer today i'm going to talk about praying hard and praying right because god wants to help us the book of daniel writes it this way in the 10th chapter daniel says then he continued this is the angel gabriel talking to daniel do not be afraid daniel since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your god your words were heard and i have come in response to them But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, who was another archangel with Gabriel, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future. For the vision concerns a time yet to come. Say amen to that. Daniel dreamed for 70 long years. Can you dream for 70 years? Can you have a dream for 70 years? Daniel dreamed for 70 years. Went to the lion's den in the 69th year of his captivity. He had a dream that he was going to come out and he was going to be delivered. I'm here to tell you something. Dreams come true. They really, really do. God still is a dream giver and a dream provider. Amen. I'm going to preach to you today. You may be seated. God bless as we bring the word of the Lord to you. A priest in Dublin, Ireland parked his car one day on a rather steep slope close to his church and his little old terrier was lying in the rear seat and could not be seen by anyone outside the vehicle. So when the priest got out of his car and turned the lock on the door with his usual parting commands to the dog that nobody could see, he said, stay, he ordered loudly to an apparently empty car, stay. And an elderly man was watching the performance with amused interest and grinning. He suggested, sir, why don't you just try putting on the emergency brake (laughs) instead of talking to your car? Today, I'm speaking for the third time on circle makers again. But I'm speaking about prayer today. I'm speaking about prayer that is not easy prayer. I'm talking about prayer that is not easy to accomplish. Prayer really is a foreign word to the unbeliever. It makes as much sense as telling a car to stay. But I just read to you, Daniel prayed in a foreign country. He prayed in Babylon, not in Israel. Daniel prayed for 21 days. And God heard Daniel's prayer. And God answered Daniel's prayer. Because God hears and God answers prayer. Prayer is the most awesome thing you can have in your life. There's something about the power of prayer that nothing else can touch. In standardized math tests, Japanese children consistently score higher than their American counterparts. While some think that it's the natural proclivity toward mathematics is the primary difference, researchers have discovered that it may be more to do with effort, hear me now, than ability. In one study involving first graders, students were given a difficult puzzle to solve. And the researchers weren't interested in solving the puzzle. They simply wanted to see how long the kids would try before giving up. 
The American children lasted an average of nine and a half minutes. The Japanese children lasted 14 minutes. In other words, Japanese children tried 47% longer than the American kids. It is, is it any wonder why, the, why they score higher on perhaps their math exams and other exams? Researchers concluded that the difference in math scores might be less to do with intelligent quotient and more to do with a persistent quotient. The Japanese first graders simply, you ready for this, tried harder. And that study not only deals with math scores, the implications are true no matter where you turn in your life. Athletics, academics, music, math, there are, folks, no shortcuts. There are no Kmart blue light specials. There are no substitutes to perseverance. Success is a derivative of persistence. Years ago, there was a particular man that did a, 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 a study on musicians and in the Academy of Music. He studied musicians, particularly violin players. And he, he, he broke down the difference between world-class soloists good violinists and those who would be unlikely to play professionally. And all of them started playing around roughly the same age. And they practiced about the same amount of time until the age of eight. And that's when their practice habits diverged. And the researchers found out by the age of 20, the average players had logged 4,000 hours of practice time from eight to 20. The good violinists had totaled 8,000 hours, and the elite performers set the standard with 10,000-plus hours of practice time in those 12 years. One day, Van Clyburn, who made his home in, Kil in Kilgore, Texas years ago, was asked after a concert, the great pianist was asked and told, I would give my right arm to play the piano like you, Mr. Van Clyburn, and he looked at that particular person and he said, I don't need your right arm, and you don't need to give your right arm, but would you give eight hours a day for the last 20 years? That's how I have become the pianist that I have become. Here's what I want to tell you. There is nothing greater. I don't care how much smart you have. It does not matter how much uh, innate ability dictates your upside potential. Your potential is only tapped to the greatest extent by a persistent effort in your life. You must have persistence in your life. Persistence is the magic bullet, and the magic number seems to be 10,000. I can remember, folks, I really can. I can remember this when I was just a kid of, of wanting kind of to, to preach the gospel and kind of to be a minister of the gospel, and I, I realized that maybe I didn't have what it took. I didn't have what it took, but I, but I read something just recently that kind of showed me where I was back then because I didn't understand. I just had this passion about preaching. And there's a, there's a, there's a thought I want to throw on the screen for you today. The emerging picture from studies is that 10,000 hours of practice is required to achieve a level of mastery associated with being a world-class expert in anything. Composers basketball players, fiction writers, ice skaters, concert pianists, chess players that want to be grandmasters, master criminals. <laughs> the number comes up again and again. No one has yet found a case in which true world-class expertise was accomplished in less time. 
It seems like it takes the brain that long to assimilate all that it needs to know to achieve true mastery. Here's what I want to tell you. Is there any difference when it comes to prayer? I want to tell you something. Prayer still works, but we've got to pray in our life. We cannot just pray when things are bad. We cannot just pray when things go bump in the night. We've got to get up every day, and we've got to have the best friend in our world is a place called prayer. The place, best place in your house is that closet of prayer because God still hears prayer. The habit has to be cultivated. It's a discipline that has to be developed. It's a skill that has to be practiced. And while I don't want to reduce praying hard to time logged, if you want to achieve mastery, it might take you more than 10,000 hours in your life. This I know for sure. The bigger the dream, the harder you're going to have to pray in life. Anybody want to see a dream fulfilled? Honey was a man in the first century B.C. We've been talking about him. And when it did not rain in Israel, he walked out in the middle of a desert place and drew a circle, a large circle, and he got inside that circle. And he said, Lord, I'm not leaving this circle until it rains. And then he began to pray for rain like Elijah prayed for fire on Mount Carmel. And all of a sudden the rain began to come in a gentle sprinkle. And Honey looked up and said, for this kind of rain, I did not pray. <laughs> I want a rain that fills caverns. I want a rain that fills ditches. And it came to raining so hard they had to run to the Temple Mount to get away from the floods. But Honey stayed in the circle. He said, for this kind of rain, I did not pray. I prayed for a gentle rain, a rain of mercy, a rain of grace. And all of a sudden, it became a pleasant, beautiful rain. And that's when he left the circle. Here's what I want to tell you. God wants you to circle your promises. He wants you to circle your blessings. He wants you to circle the things that you desire in your life. And then get inside that circle and say, God, I'm going to hang on right here. I'm not going anywhere. Be like the Hebrew boys facing the fiery furnace. They said, we're going to get in there, but we know one thing. Our God is able. Our God is able. But if he doesn't do what we think he's going to do, we're still going to serve him. You've got to get in that circle and say, God, I'm going to accept your word. I'm going to accept your promises. I'm going to believe you can do it for us. I'm going to believe you can give me a better business. I'm going to believe you can give me a greater family. I'm going to believe you can give me a greater home. I'm going to believe you can give me a better job. I'm going to believe you can give me better health. Just believe it. There's nothing like the power of prayer. In fact, when Jesus talked about prayer, he talked this way. Luke chapter 18. Let's look there. Let's go to there. Amen. 18 verse 1 through 5. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray. And everybody say, never give up. Everybody say, never give up. There was a judge in a certain city. And he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. And a widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God. <laughs> I don't care about people. But this woman is driving me crazy. Wow. We won't say any more about that. I'm going to see that she gets justice. Because she is wearing me out with her constant request. Wow. That, that phrase, wearing me out, is a boxing term. When a boxer wears the other one out. 
he comes to his corner and he said, man, that guy's wearing me out. And one day an old boy came to his corner. He said, hey, coach, that man's wearing me out. He said, man, he hadn't laid a glove on you. That old boy hadn't laid a glove on you. And he said, well, then you need to look at the referee because somebody's beating me up real bad. <laughs> Here's what I want to tell you. There is something about persistence. I did a research on this judge, and I had never really, really checked on him, but, but Barclay in his book writes about this judge, and, and, and this was probably not a Jewish judge judging a Jewish woman. But because when Jewish people had a problem, they usually brought it before the elders and, not, and, and into the public court through the elders, and larger, larger disputes were brought before a three-judge panel, one whom was chosen by the plaintiff, one who was chosen by the defendant, one who was neutral. And since there was just one judge, Barclay concludes it must have been a Roman magistrate, one of those who probably was looking for a bribe or who would bend under pressure from someone with influence. And the Jewish people call this, this kind of judge a robber judge. In other words, he had no pity for this Jewish woman. He had no pity for this Jewish widow. But every day she came knocking on the door, avenge me of mine enemies. And he said, get out of here. The next day, avenge me of mine enemies. And she said, get, he said, get out of here. Avenge me of mine enemies. He said, get out of here. And every day she came and finally he said, give her what she wants. She's wearing me out. She's driving me crazy. There is a man, I heard his voice a while ago in this audience right now, that has been praying for a promotion for the last five years. The last five years. He's called me, Pastor, I'm going up for a promotion. Pray that I get it. He didn't get it. The next time, pastor, pray for me. I'm going up for a promotion. He didn't get it. Pastor, pray for me. I've prayed for that guy. I've drawn so many circles. I don't know where the circle stopped. But the other day, he said, pastor, I'm going up for a promotion. Then I got a call. He said, pastor, I got that promotion. Here's what I want to tell you. It doesn't matter how many no's you get in life. You hang in there because the promises of God are yea and amen. And God will give you the desire of your heart. You should pray and not give up. That's what made this woman a circle maker. She was a circle maker. You see, folks, God is not he doesn't concern himself with protocol near as much as he concerns himself with your passion. Because if God was into protocol, Jesus Christ would have called the Pharisees to be his disciples. Because they was into protocol. They were into protocol. Let, let, let me say something. Do you know it's pretty easy to pray when things go bad in your life? Can you say amen to that? Okay, you're in an airplane. It just falls 200 feet. I guarantee you don't say, now I lay me down to sleep. <laughs> you say, God, help us. There's something called adrenaline prayer that kicks in. And before you know it, you're, you're nigh near to tongues. You really are. You're, I don't care if you don't even believe in it. You're nigh near to it right then. And you, you're calling on everybody, Moses, Jehovah, whatever. <laughs> Elijah, somebody hear me. But isn't it amazing that reactive prayer sometimes gets a lot of emotion, a lot of passion, and proactive prayer gets a lot of yawns and a lot of oh gods. Let me tell you something. If you can come to that court like that woman saying, I need something from you, God. 
I'm going to knock on this door. If you could pray proactive prayers like you pray reactive prayers, I'm telling you God would say, hey, who's that youngin' down there calling on me? Would somebody go down and check him out? And Gabe would fly down and Michael would fly down and check on you and come back and say, Heavenly Father, they need some blessing. And God would say, okay, step up and go bless them because God understands it's not about protocol. It's about passion in your life. Let me go a little further. Some of you need to bring some passion to your worship. Come on. Clap your hands and rejoice. Because we need to let him know that he is our God. Rejoice in him here today. Rejoice in him here today. Amen. Amen. There's nothing like passionate prayer. In fact... Jesus honored a prostitute who crashed a party at a Pharisee's home to anoint his feet. He honored a tax collector who climbed a tree in his three-piece suit just to get a glimpse of Jesus. He honored four friends who cut in line and made a hole in somebody's roof to let down a man who was paralyzed from his waist down. And in this parable, Jesus honored a woman who drove a judge crazy because she wouldn't stop knocking. And he honored a man who knocked on his friend's door at midnight saying, I need some bread. I can't get up. My kids are asleep. Everybody's laid down. I need some bread. Help me. The same word that was there was also in the woman knocking on the judge's door. It's importunity. They just would not stop. They just were passionate. And after the parable of the man knocking on the friend's door at midnight, Jesus goes on to say, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. And Luke wrote it this way. He said, here's how Luke wrote it. Keep on asking and it'll be given. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and it'll be open to you. There's an old adage that says, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. But the fresh take on it is this. God said it, I've circled it, and that settles it. Can we have some circle-making prayers in this house? Let me say something here. When I was just a boy, seven years old, two great miracles happened in my life, one when I was two days old and another when I was seven years old. I'm not saying the devil tried to kill me. I'm not saying that. But I was a sick kid. My, my dad was a sharecropper and was raised on a farm and until I was 10 years old, he went to work for an old company, but we was on a farm, and we didn't have insurance, and, and we just had to trust God. You know, it's amazing when you get down, and all you can trust is him, how he shows up. And I had, I had a horrible spleen problem. My spleen was swollen. This, the left side of my body was just way out here. It was a horrible thing, and I, I really thought it was over. I, I, I don't say I heard the bells, but I think it was getting close to me hearing those golden bells. And, and, and we, we went to a little old church in, 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 in Littlefield, Texas. We lived out around Spade, but we went to a little church in Littlefield, Texas, pastored by a man named Hash. Now, that's a name that sounds like something you don't want to eat. <laughs> but Brother Hash never pastored over probably 10, 15 people. At the time that we went to his church, he had seven, and four of them were the Johnsons. <laughs> and it breaks my heart. 
think what love he had for me as a boy. It breaks my heart because I was hurting so bad and my mom and dad got on the party line and there was eight people on that party line. Our phone rang all the time, but it never was for us. And they called Pastor Hash and he said, I'll be right there. I love little old Rexy. I love him. He called me that all my life. He's gone on. He's been gone a long time, but he left me a legacy. He came to our house. He came to our house that night, that little shotgun home. He came to our house, and I was in the first bedroom, and I was hurting, and, and, and my fever was raging, and I was in a bad shape. And when pastor showed up, he came with his coffee urn. He came with some snacks because he was diabetic, and he had to eat a little bit every now and then. And he set up shop in the kitchen. He didn't come to pray and leave. He come to pray and stay. And I told the guys, I told the guys in the first session, I said, God, I'm here today because a man didn't come in and say, Our Father, which art in heaven, touch this boy in the name of the Lord. And y'all call me if you need me now and go on. No, no, no. He set up shop. And he came in and he knelt there beside me and he put his hand on me and his breath never was real good. <laughs> and I really was as a seven-year-old boy dreading that. <laughs> but he knelt down beside me and he laid hands on me and he said, Lord, by your stripes we are healed. I want you to heal this boy. I want you to raise this boy up. God, you've got something for this boy. Touch this boy. Heal him. Heal him. And it didn't happen. And he went back in the kitchen, drank some coffee, and ate some snacks. And he came back a little later and prayed for me again. I don't know how many times he came in there, but it's about 2 o'clock in the morning. He came in, and I could tell there was a little desperation. He wanted to go to sleep. But he came in and started praying for me again. He said, Lord, this boy needs healing. He's got to go to sleep. He's got to get some rest, break his fever, take this pain away from his body, and heal him. Over three hours, three and a half hours, he stayed in our home, and all of a sudden, something just popped. Something happened. Something happened. My fever was gone. The pain just left me right now. Right now, it just left me. I'm telling you, right now, the pain just walked out of me. I got out of the bed. I hadn't eaten in a couple of days, and I got out of the bed, and I came into the kitchen, and he said, son, I brought you something to eat because I wasn't going to leave until you ate with me. And he ate with me, and we fellowship, and I've never had a pain there since. Some people know how to make a circle. Some people know how to pray. Some people know how to keep on praying. Keep praying. Don't give up. Don't give up. God's got that job for you. God's going to heal your family. God's going to bring your kids back. God's going to touch that disease. God's going to bless your home. God's going to bless your family. He's going to bless your kids. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying.
me tell you what happens when you get a prayer life. Prayer doesn't always change your circumstances right away, but it changes you. It's kind of like that Swedish Navy that in 1980 got a call from a particular island and said, your wood is ready from the forestry department, said your wood is ready for your new ships. And the Swedish Navy didn't even know they'd ordered any wood. But they got to checking the records, and this is 1980, back in 1829, 151 years previous. The Swedish government said, we need, we need some trees to help build our ships later in life. And they asked this colony of people, this island that oak trees were not indigenous to, would you plant some acorns because it takes 150 years for an oak tree to mature? And they put a bunch of acorns out there, hid them from the squirrels. And 151 years later, they made a call to the Swedish Navy, your wood is ready. Sometimes your prayers feel like you're just dropping acorns in the ground. You feel like God doesn't hear anything. But I promise you, Mom and Dad, there's prayers you prayed 15 years ago that are happening, coming to pass right now. There's prayers you're going to pray today that if God tarries, you're going to come to pass five, ten years down the road. You've got to continue to pray. You can't stop praying. You cannot stop praying. You've got to keep praying because the more you pray, the greater your character is, the greater you grow, and the bigger you become in your faith with God. And one day you'll be a mighty ship. You'll be something great in the kingdom of God because prayer doesn't always change our circumstances, but it changes us. So it's not about attitude. It's not about IQ. It's about your persistent quotient. You know, I've got to quit. I've got to quit. Y'all took some of my time cheering too long a while ago. I got <laughs> Give me an extra minute. Please don't leave me. I, I, I've, got a, I've got a wonderful closing here tonight that I got, today I've got to share it with you. But you know, when, when a person is in survival mode, have you ever noticed what kind of mm, they have? I will not succumb. I will conquer this. We have a man that comes to this church that has had prostate cancer for over three years. And when he walks in, he's beaming. He's been through all kinds of chemotherapy, all kinds of radiation, but he's beaming. And he said, I whipped it, Pastor. Another week, I'm alive. Isn't it amazing when survival mode kicks in, the persistence a person has to stay with it? If you have that kind of persistence in surviving, why can't you carry it over into thriving? Why can't you have the persistence and say, you know what? I'm not going to just be a surviving Christian. I'm going to be a thriving Christian. And why don't some of you thriving people turn it into triumphant Christians? You know what a triumphant Christian is? One that lives in the victory of life. He's caused us, Christ has caused us to triumph in him. In other words, we're going to win. Every day is a winning day. 
Every day is a special day because I have a friend in Jesus that I know hears my prayer and answers my prayer. And it doesn't matter how long I have to pray, I'm going to hang in here until he comes and helps me with my dilemma. I want to throw a picture of a woman on the wall here. Her name is Lucille Clifton. There she is. I've never met Miss Lucille. Never have. I've read about her. I've studied her. She looks pretty pleasant. I like her glasses. I like her gray hair. She's quite a woman. And being it's this day and it's Sanctity of Life Day, her story is very, very powerful. Let me share it with you and then I'll close and we'll go do something else. Lucille Clifton was, was a woman who had four children by a man who did not love the family. Lucille Clifton was raised by a dad who did not love the family. And she said, the last thing that I wanted in my life was to have a husband like my father. And wouldn't you know it, I dove off into the same kind of relationship with my husband that my mother did with my dad. And my husband was about himself. And we had four children pretty close together. And he looked at her one day and he said, no more kids, no more. If you have any more children, if you have any more children, I will leave you. I'll walk out on you. I will leave you. Lucille Clifton is a Ph.D. now. She's powerful. She's a great speaker. In fact, one day, with the help of God and cross fingers, I'm going to have her come speak to this church. But she spoke at St. Edwards University several years ago, and this is what she said. I read about her in the paper. This is what she said. She said, I got pregnant with my fifth child, and I didn't want to tell my husband because I knew he would leave me if he knew that I was expecting. And she said, so I thought, I'm going to abort this child. I'm not going to keep this child around. And she said, I had totally planned to do it. But then she said, I thought, what's more important, taking the life of a baby or losing a marriage? And she said, I made up my mind I was not going to take the life of my baby. And when she told her husband he did what he said, he left. She had the fifth child. She raised those children by herself. Bachelor, master's, Ph.D. Wow. I love you, Lucille. I love you. Later on in life, Lucille developed renal failure. She had kidney problems. It looked like that she was going to have to have a kidney transplant. She went to dialysis three times a week. She tried to relieve it that way and hoping that something would happen and she could not find a match anywhere. So they finally said, can we check your kids? So they checked the first child, the second child, third child, fourth child, no matches, but the fifth child. The fifth child was a perfect match. Gave a kidney to her mom. And here's what Lucille Clifton said, and I want to share it with you, then we're going to pray for you and we're going to let you go home. She said, I was almost ready to abort 
the thing that was going to save my life in the future. She said, I'm so glad I didn't abort it. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you what prayer is. Prayer is something I don't care what happens to you in your life. Don't ever abort your prayer life. Don't ever abort your circle-making mentality. Don't ever abort believing that God can do anything because he told Peter one day, he said, I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. I didn't pray that you would be blessed. I didn't pray that you would have all green lights and paved roads. I just prayed that your faith would not fail. Don't let your faith fail. Keep drawing circles. I don't care how desperate you are. Keep drawing circles. I don't care how bad life gets. Keep drawing circles. Don't abort that thing that's going to save you down the road. Because I promise you, prayer still is an answer in the kingdom of God. Would you stand to your feet all over the house? Would you stand? And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.